Good old Charlie Brown said to Lucy, Life has its ups and downs. And Lucy shouted back, I don't want downs. I want up, up, and up. We don't want downs either. Up is where we hope the stock market and productivity and profits will go. We strive to climb higher on the ladder of success and to live in upscale neighborhoods. We want to hear about upside potential and to know that things are looking up. We like people who are upbeat. We trust people who are on the up and up. Almost always up is what we want. Heaven, after all, is up. And hell is down. So is failure. Falling down on the job. It was all downhill from there. Down on my luck. Down and out. Discouragement is down. I'm just feeling down lately. I've been down in the dumps. Down is what we don't want to feel. But life isn't all up, up, and up. How can it be, after all? When we live in a world where a troubled young man, in a fit of rage, kills 49 people. In a world where people lose their jobs, not because they've done something wrong, but because investors are playing with their company the way kids play Monopoly. In a world where illness and injury limit people who have so much to give where some older adults live in loneliness and many children don't have enough attention from someone who loves them like a grandparent would. The melancholy singer of Psalm 42 said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Well, he had good reasons, just as we have good reasons. To feel down. He tells us that he felt pursued and oppressed by enemies. And whether or not it's literal combat, we know what it's like to feel besieged by people and circumstances and forces beyond our control. The psalmist admitted that he even felt abandoned by God. I say to God, my rock, why? Have you forgotten me? Why must I walk around mournfully? People who didn't share his faith taunted him. Where's your God? Where's your God? He couldn't keep himself from crying. He admits, my tears have been my food day and night. And he remembered better times. Times when he had shared in the joy of worship. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng. How I led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving. A multitude-keeping festival. I remember when I could enter into the experience of worship with unhindered Joy, he says. But not anymore. 
if he managed to make himself go to church at all. He slipped in late, sat off by himself, couldn't bring himself to sing, tried to pray, but felt like God wasn't listening, found it almost impossible to believe, even though he wanted desperately to be able to believe. He left before anyone could speak to him. He wanted to experience God, but God seemed to be hiding from him. When shall I come and behold the face of God? When will I see God again? No wonder he was cast down. No wonder we sometimes are. He had hit bottom. And it's when we've gone as far down as we can imagine going. It's when we're at the lowest place our nightmares tell us it is possible to go. There's a gift in that hard place. The gift on the bottom is that we realize that our true longing Our true longing is for authentic love and that our deepest desire is for God. At rock bottom, we get it, what we most need. And so the psalmist says, from the bottom, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul Longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The literary critic George Steiner once said, We are creatures of a great thirst. And in the lowest place, we realize that our great thirst is for a great God. Our need is so basic and so insistent. It's like our need for water. And this thirst of our hearts, this thirst of our souls, is a sign of wisdom, actually. This thirst tells us what we need most for our lives. But frankly, Sometimes we misspend our thirst. I I think we need to learn to be good stewards of our desires. And sometimes we misspend this thirst for God. And so instead of coming to God with it, we turn to substitutes for God. We attach our desire to something or someone that can't satisfy it to alcohol and drugs, to food, to work, to security, to the approval of other people, to the need to be needed. We look to these things to help us. And the insidious thing is that it almost works. Almost. Because for a time, whatever we've used or done or experienced soothes the ache. It soothes the ache for a while. 
It takes the edge off the hunger. It soothes for a time our parched thirst. And since it, whatever it is, whatever it is, since it almost works, since it works for a while, when that ache comes back, when that hunger eats away at us again when the thirst makes new demands because it almost works and it works for a while. We try more. We try again and more of whatever it was that seemed to help. But eventually, more doesn't help because more, more of the wrong thing can never be enough. We are thirsty and hungry for God. We long for God. And friends, what we sometimes forget and what I get to remind you of today is that it's not simply the case that we long for God, but God longs for us. God longs for us. In the tradition of the church, the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus are called the passion of Jesus. An expression of God's passion for us. God longs for us the way we long for God. The psychiatrist Gerald May reported on a week-long solitary retreat he took to the high mountains of New Mexico. He'd gone to those mountains to reconnect with himself and with God and with creation. He says, I'm sitting on the deck of a small cabin and I'm well into the silence, absorbed by the majesty of the mesas to the east and to the west, I sit cross-legged on a Navajo rug, back straight, breathing in the high desert air. And he says, a soft, silent prayer rises up in me. I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. And there's stillness all around him. But then he loses the prayer. And even though the silence surrounds him, he can't quite bring himself to settle into it. He wanted it, but he couldn't bring himself to settle into it for some reason. He resisted it, even though he desired it. He was unable to relax into it. He was like Paul. I can will the right, but I can't do it. He wanted to surrender to the silence, to God. But he couldn't. Do you know how he felt? I do. Sometimes the, the clatter and clamor of my own fears, my own ambitions, sometimes the murmur of regret and disappointment, sometimes the accusing voices of guilt and shame overwhelm the healing silence God offers. <coughs> All we can hear is the static. And even though we most want what's on the other side of that static, 
We can't seem to get there. And I think it's because we don't remember that God wants us as much as we want God. We think it's up to us when really it's just up to our recognizing that God already wants what we want. So, Jerry May is sitting there on his Navajo rug dealing with this resistance in his heart and then he heard an eagle's call. An eagle's call sounding through the valley, bouncing off the mountains. He heard an eagle's call. And he said, it pierced the air and it pierced him once, twice, a third time. The eagle's cry entered into his heart. And Jerry said, it felt like the eagle was crying for me. Crying not on my behalf only, but crying out, calling me. What if, what if God is crying out for us the way that eagle called out for Jerry May? I think God is. I think God cries out for us. God awakens our longing because God longs for us. You don't have to earn or deserve or work for this love of God God offers. God longs for you simply to accept it in all the confusion and clamor and noise and failure and hope and dreams of your own life. God wants you as you want God. And how do I know that? As I said, because of Jesus. Jesus is the flowing stream of grace for us. The living water of mercy. Do you remember twice in John's Gospel, Jesus referred to himself as the thirst-slaking water of life? First to the Samaritan woman who came to him beside a well... He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the well water, will be thirsty again. But those who drink of this water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water I will give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then he said a few days later in the temple, he cried out like the eagle, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water, a spring of water, a river of water. On this Father's Day, I'm remembering how as a boy, sometimes with my dad's dad, and sometimes alone, I took long walks in the west end of Huntington along the Ohio River walking atop the mounded earthen flood wall. From, From time to time, I'd scramble, slide down the flood wall and get as close to the edge of the river as I could get. I'd throw smooth, round rocks and try to skip and dance them all the way across the river. My dad claimed he could. 
but he never came with me to do it. Anyway, I tried, I tried to skip the, water, the rocks across the river. And then sometimes I'd just stand there, listening to the lapping of the river against roots and rocks. And even as a boy, there was something about the river that gave me peace. I have another river now, which serves as a sanctuary and a solace for me. It's the French Broad. It runs through Asheville, but my favorite place to get close to it is in the little town, the little village of Hot Springs. A while back, I was out there for a few days. And it struck me how right it is for a Baptist Christian to be drawn to the river. Because our forebears baptized believers long before they built baptistries with heated pools. Our forebears baptized believers in creeks and streams, lakes and rivers. They gathered at the river the beautiful, the beautiful river to witness the great drama of salvation. Old lives buried with Jesus in a watery grave and newborn Christians rising up out of the water with Him. In their imaginations, our forebears traveled to the Jordan River and they stood with Jesus as He was baptized by his cousin John, and they heard God say to them what God said to Jesus. If you listen, you can hear God saying it to you. You are my child, my son, my daughter. I love you. I take great delight in you. The river, the flowing river, is God's mercy flowing to us in Jesus. We're immersed in grace. We're submerged in mercy. We're inundated with peace. And Jesus satisfies our thirst like an inner spring. In his novel, The Second Coming, Walker Percy describes a seriously injured man who comes slowly to consciousness as a woman presses a cup of water to his lips. Here's what he thinks. He tried to raise his head up to drink properly. It was impossible. Pain shot up his neck. He opened his mouth as she poured water into it. And then he thought, there are few joys greater than drinking cool water after a serious thirst. As a deer longs for flowing water, so my soul longs for you, O God. And God says, as a deer longs for flowing water, so, my child, my heart thirsts for you. Amen.